0: Create your dream empire that gives you the freedom to create your life the way you want to do it. My name is Megan Brain. This is Stop Sucking Your Business. Let's go. Hey guys, Megan here. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have uh, an interview today with someone who I am a big nerd girl for. So I'm really excited to have him here. I am talking to Ben Dell. Ben is the founder of a number of SAS companies like Missing Letter, Hey Summit, Help shelf and more recently onboard flow, which I haven't heard about. So you're going to have to give me the scoop on that. He previously owned a web agency for over 10 years, which was acquired. During this time, he also launched a number of SAS startups. I can't say SaaS startups. <laughs> <laughs> you know the coffee. It's just what are you going to do?
1: Coffee can only help with so much. I've I learned it can only get exactly. you so far. It's, it's
0: the whole thing. Like. Especially as you get older. Let me finish the book. Ben is all the passionate about empowering businesses and brands with tools to help them succeed. So, Ben, you are a fucking baller. You are just when I found and I'm sorry, guys. You're gonna have to listen to me, nerd girl, for a little bit. But when I found a missing letter on AppCMO, what two years ago? When was the first time you were on there? Two?
1: Uh, actually three years ago, I think the first one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe, maybe I, like it changed my business because as a blog, when I was doing like a lifestyle blog, it was such a good upsell for sponsored posts to say like, we'll add a one year rotation and things. And then can talk about what missing letter does and all of that in a second. But just thank you so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Missing letter and hey summit. And I haven't tried Help Shelf or Onboard Flow yet, so can't wait to oh. hear about this. But let's start at the beginning. Like, talk about the brain of Ben. How did this all get started?
1: Oh, that's a dark, dark place. <laughs> but firstly, thank you so much for for, for sharing those kind of thoughts. It's it, it, it's it's when you're when you're running something, doesn't matter what the scale is, you almost always hear the bad stuff, as you should. You you need to hear when things are not going so well, and you need to hear the critical thoughts um, but it's so unrare that you actually do get get you know even if you have oodles of happy customers you know very rarely I mean we don't do it ourselves you know we tend to kind of put our our, our trip advisor reviews only when it goes poorly so thank you for taking the time to say that it helps it's great to hear and it's it's the sort of thing that spurs us on um, now that's just me sort of deviating and, and, and delaying from the, the what's inside my brain question <laughs> I, I don't know I mean I it, it's I've always been, you know, as you said in the intro, I've always been sort of passionate about um, helping businesses succeed. And that's a really broad, generic sort of statement. Uh, Being a bit more specific, I like saving time. Um, I hate inefficient inefficiency. Um, And so what I tend to find is that almost anything that I do day to day, um, I'm I'm, I'm frustrated nine times out of 10. I'm thinking, why am I? doing it this way or why am I being forced to do it this way or why hasn't someone come up with a better way of doing this because there's always something that could be improved or, or, or maybe I just have a bad habit for for um seeing things that way and so consequently the ideas are never uh, in in short supply I, I always have a, a thought as to um so, uh, you know the way that something can be improved of course the the, the trick the challenge is to hand pick and and incubate those ideas um that actually have legs. Um, quite often it's the case that you just need to lap it up and live with the inefficiency of the thing because hey, that's just the way the world works. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, you know, I'm always frustrated is probably the way I would sort of, sort of <laughs> simplify it.
0: <laughs> the, the curse of the entrepreneur,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: So when you started your first business, was it the web agency that was first?
1: no um a few before then of of varying but but not not sort of substantial success i suppose um but um yeah just sort of small small little startups here and there um and yeah just i I guess it's, it's 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 thinking about your audience and where they might be in their sort of um you know life and journey um the agency was started as a result of me sort of realizing sort of 15 years ago, that I, there's still a huge amount that I need to learn. There's still a huge amount of maturity that I need to build up. There's a lot of uh, commercial experience, relationship building um, sort of skills that I, I need to develop and all these sorts of things that that um, you need to, to be successful in whatever that walk of life, whatever that business is that you, you, you have. And I think creating that agency back when I did was at a point when I realized that I didn't really have all of the things that I needed to take some of my previous startup ideas um uh, through to full fruition I, I i co-founded a couple of companies and you know a couple of them did fairly well in their own rights but nothing really that, that that gave me the confidence that i could you know i should be through right um doing more of that um so it was a bit of schooling a bit of necessity that um uh, you know getting clients uh through the door is somewhat easier than starting a business uh, starting a SaaS business or, or, or you know online online business from a reoccurring standpoint um and and sometimes those are the tough decisions that you need to make you know you're building a family or you're starting one um or you're just you know trying to establish yourself as an individual and sometimes you have to take the the unsexy paths um because they are necessary at the time and so necessary for me was 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 starting an agency and and, and started off pure consultancy morphed into sort of creating an agency started building a team and before you know it um you're kind of committed to the cause and and you know you've got a team you've got a bricks and mortar office um you've got projects that are running for six months and, and longer and it's it, it now becomes something that you can't just walk away from and um it was something i thoroughly enjoyed but but certainly by the end of it um, it was very very clear to me that my passion and also by that point my skills were were not in client work but more in building things and coming up with ideas for, for myself
0: what do you think was the catalyst for making you realize that? Do you think that was there like a one specific time where were you just burning out? What, what kind of drove that?
1: I, I think it's um no, no single, single thing. I don't, I don't think that not that I can recall anyway. I think it's, one of those things that just builds up over time, when you when you work on one business for 10 years, you start seeing start to see patterns. You, there is a bit of burnout there as well. And emotional burnout, I think more than anything, because I, I, I've i worked you know, no harder now as I have in the past. Um, so it wasn't the physicality of it, but more the emotional sort of side of it. And, you know, for anyone who's who's in the sort of the world, you know, it's very cyclical, um, both in terms of cash flow, but also in terms of. Um, the emotional sort of roller coaster you know you start a project you deliver it you hopefully get a happy customer at the end of it and then you have to start again so it's having to constantly get yourself back on that horse um, and then when you t- when it's sort of coupled with this idea that that you're delivering things of value for your client as much as you want them to have that value um, you're sort of waving goodbye to it and sort of seeing them go off on that journey and and you're only part of that very very sort of initial sort of part of that um that, that sort of project um. So, yeah, it was that sort of continual sort of realization that, that it wasn't where my heart was um, and it just built up over time. And, you know, you, you hear about leverage. Uh, and for me, it was just that critical mass of that feeling that I described got to a point where, you know, leverage was enough that it made me realize that actually, no, I needed to jump out and, and do the next thing.
0: When did missing letters start festering in your head? When did you start thinking like, let me let me poke at this and see what's going on?
1: So that was whilst at the agency, um, it was it was a side project we 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 set up and ran um, alongside it, and it, it fortunately started building a bit of traction. Not enough that um, one could confidently jump ship. Um, it helped that I was able to find an acquirer for the agency, um, but it was enough of of a of a suggestion that there was something there. it gave us the confidence to to jump ship but no the idea was 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 very very simply from seeing you know working with with our clients every single day we were building high-end sort of web applications but invariably they would include some sort of a blog and so although we weren't writing the content we were we were creating the platform that they could you know, add their blog posts to and, and showcase them to the world and all that sort of thing. And one thing I noticed was that our, pretty much all of our customers were really, really good at coming up with a bit of a content strategy. They, they knew that they had to publish a blog post once a month or once a week or whatever it was. They knew kind of the topics that they wanted to talk about. They'd thought about SEO um, and, and you know, the right phrases to use and all that sort of stuff. Um, but almost none of them knew what to do or even knew that they had to do was do something once they'd published the blog post. So they would click publish in WordPress or in our case, in, in our platform. Um, and then that was it. They were just, you know, like Wayne's world, they would expect them to sort of just turn up. Um, and it just sort of struck me that, again, coming back to that hatred for inefficiency that I described at the beginning, it just felt horribly inefficient because for those that did realize um, that they had to do something to promote those blog posts, they were basically creating horrible word you know um, Excel spreadsheets and recreating the... Um, content, you know, rehashing it, kind of looking at their blog post and going, well, I need to turn that into a 140 characters as it was back then, a tweet um, or a Facebook post or whatever it was. And they were just, you know, you could hear their brains whirring thinking, how do I turn that sentence into um, something that works for a tweet? And okay, I'm going to write this and to come up with diff- five different variations of the title. And it was just time consuming. And that inefficiency for me was Someone having invested a lot of emotional and intellectual capital in writing that long form blog post and then having to redo it simply because they they want to put it through a different medium. Um, and so that was really where, where Missing Net was born. On the one side to help people come up with a really simple way of um, creating a repeatable blog promotion strategy, you know, um, without them having to think about it. And secondly, to actually reuse that intellectual capital that they put into that blog post and actually automatically turn that into social posts so that all they have to do is just sense check it they just have to review what we've suggested um, and if they're happy click go and then it drips it out over their social over to their social accounts over the next 12 months
0: missing letter case summit help shelf onboard flow these are all major undertakings how are you balanced like it's not really an ecosystem together right they're all kind of just
1: they're all separate teams, separate businesses, um, separate directions. Um, uh, hey Summit, for example, is 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 funded um, th- through 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 an investor or two, um, whereas the others are self-funded. Um, so they all are intentionally set up to be separate and to have their own sort of paths.
0: Well, as an entrepreneur who is terribly busy, what tips have you learned to help mitigate this with? family life with balance with like how how much coffee are you drinking <laughs> what are you doing to keep keep us all like keep all of these plates in the air
1: well she says as he picks up his cup of coffee um so i well i think look like anyone i think the family life health balance and all that sort of stuff is 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 always an ongoing project i don't i sure i've seen lots of people who have got a great sort of setup and it, and it works well for them but but for me personally it's something that I'm always working on don't think I'll ever get to any of on because for me it's a it, it, it's a compromise the way I know I work does have an impact on on other things, um, family life balance and everything else. And I found a happy medium. You know, I don't I tend not to work after after six. I, I tend not to work at the weekends and apart from catching up on emails and those sorts of things, because I hate turning up on a Monday morning with a long list of support tickets or emails or whatever it might be. So I do that, but other than that, I tend to sort of shut off. Um, but no, the, the one thing that I've learned, uh, because you will always be busy whether you're like silly like me and try and create multiple businesses or whether you have one as you say you're still incredibly busy and so the one thing that I think that that you can think about um, and 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 if you then think about you can apply um is to really get honest um on what it is that you actually deliver or or bring to the table let's say to be more, more accurate what is your what is your superpower um what do you bring to the table and and, and what does that mean for your sort of business execution strategy and how you, you then run it? Um, and, you know, whatever your superpower is today might not be the superpower that you have tomorrow. It's, it's something that will evolve and hopefully should evolve over time. Um, but, but, but creating a business that complements that um, is, I think, quite important. So for me, you know, I love creating new ideas. I like, you know, shaking up industries and bringing new things to the market. But it has to be something that I've. Taking ownership from the beginning. I'm I'm very, very good at bringing, you know, building, doing pretty much everything that, that if you think about an incubator, sort of everything that is required to bring a new software business to market. So um, building the thing from a technical standpoint, designing it, marketing it, promoting it, engaging with those early customers, getting that first bit of revenue. It's stupidly busy, but it's the bit I really thrive on. And I can get something from my head to the market and with revenue very, very quickly, quicker than I've ever seen anyone else do it but i almost immediately get bored not bored is the wrong word but i i i, I get drained emotionally <laughs>
0: it's over. pretty much
1: once it's established itself and it's got a bunch of customers if it doesn't have if it's got a new challenge in front of it and needs to be you know redirected or redesigned or something that you know or, or we're entering a new market that sort of invigorates me but the, the 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 day-to-day sort of running is not where my skills are i'm not the sort of ceo um, or founder that will that cares literally cares <laughs> i don't i almost don't to 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 do the daily stand-ups to do the let's do a 360 review you know let's um let's make sure that we've got a proper business plan you know those things bore me um but that just to be clear <laughs> does not mean that i don't see the value in them absolutely incredible i'm just the worst person to to deal with them so uh to sort of um summarize this what i've learned for me personally and i would i would i would sort of encourage um those listening to think about how this might apply in your case. What I've learned in a pithy way for me is that I'm a really, really good founder, but I'm an absolutely stinkingly terrible CEO. Um, and that's how I then operate my setup as it stands today. Maybe I'll become you know, the polar opposite next month and, and we'll switch things around there. But for now, that's, that's kind of where my interests and also my skills lie. It sounds like you are
0: incredibly good at delegating and recognizing what needs to be delegated. And automated, which is, there's missing letter.
1: (laughs) Automate, delegating to robots, yes. I'm actually very bad at delegating to people, um, which is why when it gets to that boring stage where you need to start thinking about teams, Mm -hmm. I like to bring someone else in to run it, because, you know, me, because, but to delegate, you have to micromanage, or you have to manage to some extent. You know you have to sort of spec things out you have to make sure you're communicating properly and for me that's just a waste of time it's just i've got to now spend some time of my day explaining something to someone so, and i know i can see the value in it of course but but it, it's not where i thrive so um, actually i'm really bad at delegating it and that's why i like to i'm able to kind of incubate and focus on that very very early stage because it doesn't require that delegation i literally do everything myself until the point it, it, it is reached where it either can't or it shouldn't Um, And then it's about scaling it out as quickly as possible so that it takes me out of that day-to-day operational sort of standpoint. The business does not need me or want me in that sort of mode, I think.
0: (laughs) Can you talk more about the can't or shouldn't part? Um, When do you realize that this is something that you can't or shouldn't be handling and it, it needs to go off and go do its own thing?
1: um so it's definitely a case-by-case basis I think for sure I think it's definitely not one of those things you should be you know assuming that you can take a checklist from me and and, and apply it to pretty much every situation it, it's something that again go back to running the agency and I'm we should be we should all we, we all do those things that, that get us to where we are today or, or, or we're doing now to hopefully get us to where we are and it's those things that actually teach us that um that, that ability to, to judge what's going on and that you know ability to um, we get that intuition about what you're seeing what you're experiencing what you expect to happen and over time I've just built a bit of an intuition about what what you're, what you're talking about there as i.e I, when is the right time to scale when is the right time to step back a little bit when is the time to step in a bit more doesn't mean I get it right i probably get it wrong more than I get it right but um, I've got a fairly good sense for that um, and it's just something that you you build up with, with over time um, but some obvious things would be you know when you are literally doing more things than you have time for. Um, when you're doing the things that, if you're honest with yourself, you shouldn't really be doing, that aren't really, you know, talking about what your real sort of superpower is. If you find that you're doing more things that aren't in that superpower bucket, then it's really a waste of you. You know, you, you should not be doing those things because you're the one doing the bookkeeping or the, the things that are valid, you know, validly important, um, but but not really where your skills should be applied.
0: Hey guys, Megan here. Just a reminder, I have regular Q&A episodes coming out. So if you want your questions answered, head to meganbraim.com slash ask a question, all one word, and you'll be able to get your question posted. And if I feature it, you will get a copy, a free copy of my book, Day One, A Practical Guide to Launching Your Business. So again, head to meganbraim.com slash ask a question. And if your question gets featured, I'm sending you a free copy of my book as a thank you. Just you saying that reminds me of when I ran my first business, and I had to do everything because I wanted to look busy. I wanted to be like impressively busy, you know, like stupidly busy. Like you said, like just oh God, you're doing all of that, and it it benefited nobody, especially me. It did not benefit me to be that person, and to so when I closed that business and I went into you know this line, I really took a hard stance on. I don't need to impress anybody with the amount of busy I am because I'm going to be busy no matter what. Yeah. So let's automate something and get get this out of my brain. So when do you recommend people start looking at automating, adding more robots, adding more automation? Mm-hmm. When do you recommend that that happens in a business? Do you think that people should learn to build it first? Or do you think that if this isn't your strong suit, then just, start
1: with automation so i think it's, it's 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 a really good question and it's at the core of of many of my businesses actually they all have automation involved to some extent certainly missing letter because it, it, it takes that blog post and literally creates 12 months worth of social content and then automates the dripping of that out to your social accounts over, over that time um, and i think it's really really important whether it's missing letter or anything else that you just remember that that automation is a tool to use not a not a get out of jail card it's it's something that should 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 be used to amplify something good that you already have to start with um you know and and, and one of those things clearly is content you know you got to have you know if we think about automating content in some capacity you've got to have good content to start with you know and 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 because if you don't, <laughs> then you are you are automating rubbish. And what is the point of that? Yes, you're you're automating rubbish quicker than you can you know you can do it yourself, but you're still you know spewing out rubbish. So um, really make sure that you are automating for the right reasons. Um, whether you will know whether it's the right time if you have something of value to share, and this could be you know it could be a webinar that you um, have. You know perfected you know you're doing manually every i mean i personally don't like repeated webinars you know one of those sort of sign up and it appears to be live and personally i hate that but just as a case in point in theory let's imagine that that's a good thing and you should be doing that um ps you shouldn't but let's imagine you you should and you've spent weeks and weeks and weeks doing it manually yourself and you've kind of you know uh done the good webinars you've done the bad you've tweaked your language you've tweaked the deck and all that sort of stuff and it really works and actually people are converting They're they're engaging with the products that you're presenting and it's working at that point you have uh, clearly a good bit of content that is delivering what you set out for it to deliver now in that example is a good point at which you can at least ask that question should i uh, let's assume we, it's, it's, it's fine to do that, uh, start automating it. And then maybe, yes, you start sort of, you know, doing an automated webinar because you know that the source material is of a good enough quality. Um, and the same goes, if you know, with missing data and blog posts. You know, if you, if you have not yet started publishing blog posts, um, by definition, you have nothing to automate. Maybe you have started, but you're doing it once every sort of 12 months. You know, you're publishing a blog post once every six months, 12 months. You now have content, but do you have it enough for it to be a pain point? So I would always recommend doing it manually first, because then you at least understand the steps that are involved. But more importantly, particularly when it comes to social, it's not good enough just to be, just to think of automation as a robotic um, output. But as an extension of you and your brand, that's what what you should be aspiring towards. And and that's certainly what we um, aspire towards um, within Missing Nessera and why we built it. It it, it should be seen, automation should be seen as a natural output, as as an organic output. Um, So learn about how you like to engage with, your 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 audience over social media. Do you, what sort of imagery do you like? What sort of tone of language? Um, do that manually first. Understand what works and what resonates, and then you can start thinking about how to automate and scale that up.
0: Well, in speaking specifically to social media, I think that it runs a there's a tightrope, right, that we have to walk between automating and just completely losing <laughs> losing the voice and just mm-hmm. you know not engaging, and so. <laughs> this is going to go back to nerd-growing, but when you just launched Curate, which uh, for those who aren't on it yet, Missing Letter has a new feature that pulls in content from other creators so that you're offering more value-based content on a regular schedule. So it's not just you, 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 you. It's you and here's this really interesting topic from somebody else. Um, how do you recommend people, I guess, balance it, but when do people go over the cliff of just too much automation
1: it's a good example so uh, just taking a step back we 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 have two kind of core products within within missing Meta. one is the the drip campaigns um that run over a 12 month period by default um and that's dripping out um social posts relating to that blog post that it's based on and it's going to your audience but but crucially it's your content that you're kind of promoting i suppose curate uh, as you alluded to is is a new product we, we've launched that Is a is a content discovery platform, a way of curating and finding content from other people within your niche, within your industry, um, or topics just generally that that you know your audience like. Um and it's a way of sharing industry-relevant content with your audience. And it's not your content, it's someone else's. And so this is a good sort of example of 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 how an automation or or just marketing strategy, I suppose, um, in my opinion, should work. And it, it used the word balance before, and it is absolutely I think, all about balance. Your balance will be different from mine and someone else's, you know, so you find your own sort of equilibrium. But simply promoting your own stuff on social media is not good enough these days. Um, And the the exact opposite is also a poor decision, you know, just sharing other people's. You need to be promoting your stuff as well as other people's. Um, Clearly not competitors. You know, you want to make sure that you are adding, sharing information rather than sharing services and other things, although, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't share a service if it's complimentary. Um, finding that balance because at the end of the day, you want to deliver value to your audience. You want them to be following your accounts because you're sharing some high worth blog posts that you have written and that you think your audience will will, will enjoy, but you're also kind of just peppering it with with other people's and, and it keeps them engaged and it helps build that trust, um, which I think is really important. And and, and thirdly, you know, just writing one-off social content you know don't underestimate the power of that this is one area where it it isn't automated and 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 although one could you certainly shouldn't be um but it's the it's the triage of you with this triangle of of types of things that i think any any social output should be doing one is your own content and and you can automate that through missing meta but you don't have to um you know your blog posts your videos whatever it is um other people's, which is you could do th- through curate, but you could just curate that yourself through social channels and everything else. Uh, and then the third one is just one off pieces that that you, you share, that, which could be opinions on state of play in the industry. They could be comical. You know, they could, it doesn't really matter what they are, but it's 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 really one off stuff that is designed not to scale. That is just you communicating with your audience. And, and for me, you want to have all three um, sort of involved in your sort of social output.
0: I like that. And I like the thought about one-offs just as a, as a tentpole, I guess, as a, just a way to say, like, this is something that you, I specifically want you to pay attention to. And I think that it definitely increases the value that you're providing to your engagement audience, but it also just shows you're a human, you know, and it's not just, you're not just following a bot. I promise. Like I am a person I'm talking to you and trying to have this conversation which i guess is my segue into talking about marketing as a conversation and i know that missing letter helps you know get that top of the funnel started right with just making sure that people are getting eyes on what they what you're putting out but i want to talk about going into hay summit which would you say is that more of the it gets to be more in the middle of the funnel, right, than the bottom, because it's more of just a, a conversation platform.
1: Cool. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'd say so. Because you, I mean, it's it, it yes, I mean, it's still part of a funnel. It's definitely not the bottom of the funnel because invariably, you know. So, but Hey Summit is a virtual summit platform. It, it, it's a platform that helps you connect all the other pieces that are needed in order to deliver a virtual summit, including you know payment, um, uh, sponsors, speakers, speaker management, referrals all that sort of stuff. And and of course, deliver the talks. Um, And so invariably you're doing that because you're using it as a lead magnet or some form of lead generation for your business. So there will be a funnel beneath that. Um, But yeah, equally, it it is a destination. um, And so it sits somewhere in the middle there that you're probably doing a level of paid ads or, or emailing your list or social posts that are designed to drive people to your virtual summit and then from there you can you can do more but yeah you're absolutely right it's a what's powerful about virtual summits it, it, it's a conversational sort of opportunity to build a community but also strike conversations up with with your um with your attendees with your with your ideal target customer
0: so not only have you had you hundreds of summits on hey summit but you've also run your own so what kind of recommendations do you have for people who want to either become speaker or start a summit like what kind of conversations have you seen that have been most effective in the middle of the funnel in this kind of world
1: conversations with attendees or or or, or with um just in terms of the the sort of the, the the practicalities of putting on a um a summit what do you want to that's, that
0: that's a good question. Uh, I guess it would probably be both. I was thinking more of the um the philosophy behind it than the
1: technical but we can talk about both definitely yeah so i suppose from a, from a philosophical standpoint and, and and how you go about uh sort of structuring your um uh summit i think what's really powerful about summit is that actually there is no niche that is too niche um and what's really great about that is that let's imagine you are broadly in the marketing space as a business or as a consultant or or product or whatever right and and you want to put on a um a virtual summit you could just put on a broad hey we're all about this is a marketing you know 2021 sort of summit and and that's actually there's huge value in doing both but but you you could do that and you would you know maybe have different categories or topics within there and different tracks if you will different themes around different subsets within there but actually where we see a lot of value um and the bits that i quite enjoy are, are, are where you go really niche and you sort of delve down into a really specific area because it really affords you the opportunity to specifically bring in your ideal customer um, around a very, very specific thing. And for anyone that that has come along and, and, and yeah, to, to, to attend that summit, um, you know a lot more about them because of the content that you're putting on than if you were to put on something a lot more broad. Yes, you know they're generally interested in marketing if you did the broad one, but um, to what extent are they, a perfect fit for you you know remember remember this is still almost always a part of a funnel so if you're specifically focused as a business on um, you know um, paid adverts you know through Facebook specifically then do that Sort of, um, uh, you know, do a summit around that specific subject matter um, to start with. And then the conversations that you have with your attendees, with your speakers, with the sponsors that you find, you know, this is what's really great. It, it, it's a genuine ecosystem in a way that a blog post just isn't. You know, on a very basic level, a summit is just a piece of content. It's a more interactive one, but it's a it's a piece of content. But whereas with a blog post, you write it once in isolation and you deliver it, and then you kind of do promotion you get people to read it. Um, here. You're building an ecosystem, an ecosystem of attendees, speakers, and potentially sponsors as well. And if you're doing it, the more this is why I love doing the, the more niche than not, because all of those those three areas the, the the attendees, the speakers, and the sponsors if they're tailored around that niche, man, that's powerful. Because the sponsors, their potential partners, you know, that you could do some partnerships with. Because why would they sponsor um, your your very niched out um, summit if they weren't interested in that space as well? Maybe you've got a shared. Um, customer base um things like that um the speakers are also people who really care about and are knowledgeable in your area whether they're your next hire or a consultant that you might bring in um you could do webinars with them later on and do some different funnels separate from that and then of course the attendees you know as i said before you know that they are really keen on that particular thing so yeah really really cool lots of fun to be to be have there let's talk about the technical
0: aspect of it like let's say okay i am I want to do a summit, sold me on it, I think it'll be a really cool idea. Um, my audience is kind of, meh, I let, let's say I have a couple of fans but I don't have a huge fan base yet. How the hell do I get this started? What, what kind of timeline do you usually recommend for this? Like what, what have you seen has been the most successful method of doing these summits?
1: So th- th- one of the first decisions you need to make with a virtual summit is is whether you're going to be charging for it. Um, in terms of tickets to 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 sort of access the content um a hybrid which is where it's partially free but partially paid so maybe the first you know day is free or the first two sessions or something like that um or whether it's entirely free and i think um this is probably the most important decision that you will make and it should in most cases take the pinch of salt, pinch of salt um uh, depend upon the stage um and the exposure that your business at that time has so if you're if you don't have that huge list as you mentioned and you're kind of you know this is kind of an early stage. Um, Uh, opportunity to to, you know to to find potential customers etc i would advise just do it free um you can always do add-ons later on you know as 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 sort of follow-ups um because the reality is if, if you are delivering genuinely good value in terms of content um it's actually a lot easier than you think to bring people through the door and actually you know get them to sign up and watch that content at the end of the day it's free um depending on the 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 integration the the video integration that you use um to deliver the talk it can either be live but in most cases there's replays so that's really attractive as well to people they can sort of check in and out as they need to um and it's it's one of those unique marketing uh sort of sort of destinations or or strategies that unless you're doing a bad job with it which is possible um it, it's very difficult to make it feel like it's scammy or or difficult, you know, because it is just out and out content value. Assuming you've brought in the right people to talk and it's, again, oriented around the right subject matter, it's very difficult to make it appear as anything other than, hey, this is huge value. You're going to learn some really great stuff. And by the way, it's free. You know, you're going to learn from experts in the field. Where's the downside? Um, so, yeah, it's 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 something that I find is, a lot easier than you think and actually in terms of bringing in those experts as well even if you're at that early stage um, of, and you don't yet have those contacts or that sort of capital worth within the industry actually far easier than you think to um, get people to actually sign up um, you know to be, to be a speaker. The, the genesis for Hey Summit um, occurred about two years ago when I realised that um, uh, well I wanted to put on a summit quite frankly for Missing Letter. and. Anyway, long story short, I decided to put on a 100 speaker strong summit and I don't think I had. In fact, I had one person I probably approached about 102, 103 people to speak. Um, and I think just one person said no. Um, it's and, and, and none of them asked to be paid for it. Now, you certainly can have a caliber of, of speaker that will expect it um, and you may out of the gate you know, say that this is a paid um, gig because that's just the way you want to do things. But certainly it's not required. And so, yeah, all those things that you may have as expectations around how summits work, kind of throw them out because this is a a totally different way of working. And and both business and attendee, in my experience thus far, love it. They just get huge amounts of value. It's just win-win for everyone.
0: When you're reaching out to people or let's say let's go on the flip side and say that you wanna be a speaker. You wanna start looking into broadening Mm using this as a marketing touch point for you and getting, you know, more asses in the seats for your platform. How do you recommend people start branching into that?
1: Well, there's a very, very easy way, and on, on if you go to hey we have a speaker directory, um, which is a great way of actually just just registering yourself based on your sort of niche, your you know your interests and your experience, of course, and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, and then other people who are putting on summits and um, can discover you and actually reach out proactively. So actually, again, a lot easier than you think. But other than that, it's the basic sort of you know LinkedIn profile um, and getting a few speaker um, engagements under your belt, um, and and because. Of you know the last year and the everything that's happened in the world um, there's been a massive without hesitation sort of acceleration in um, virtual summits for for very practical reasons um, but that means that there's a lot of summits going online so if you are specifically looking to talk at summits promise you, it won't take you long to find a bunch in your, in your you know, area of inter- interest um, and then just reach out to the people running it. And if they have already filled up their speakership um, at that time, almost certainly they're, they're putting them on again. A lot of our customers are now doing summits every couple of months um, and some are doing it more frequently than that. Um, so it doesn't need to be this once in a lifetime or once a year kind of thing. Um, so there's lots of different ways of slicing it.
0: When you're putting on your presentation, what have you seen as the most effective lead magnet? Or I guess like what what have you seen that's been really effective in terms of getting people off the summit and onto your platform? Is it like discounts? Is it previews, lead magnets? Have you noticed that any patterns with that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, no real patterns that I can share at this stage other than the obvious things. And it's it's this is where it, in my opinion, shouldn't be any different than 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 the other sort of marketing strategies that you might be playing with them, and, and that is that hopefully you're doing it in a mature, um, uh, ethical way that you are delivering value first before you um, expect to extract value, i.e., cash from the customer. Um, and as long as you follow those principles, um, it's it's really quite easy to sort of sort of dovetail that on in, into the event. So what does that mean in practical terms? Well, if you are um, if you are doing a, a a summit on on facebook ads as we discussed before um and you have 20 speakers all from that area and your business is 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 you know maybe have a bit of software that deals with that maybe you could offer them a free um uh, trial that it's exclusive to to those attendees that maybe your trial is normally 30 days maybe you could offer a 60-day trial for example um you know that they care about that subject matter and then you can start offering things and and also you can even sort of segment even deeper than that because through the registration process you can actually have custom questions so that you could then further segment you know have you started doing paid advertising yet what is your budget on on a, on an average month and so these are all things to help you understand how can we deliver more value um so yeah i would i would just recommend don't assume that you could just have a sledgehammer in it and you can convert customers at the end of it for the sake of it um it's about Seeing them, as you said right at the beginning, about being part of that ongoing sort of funnel. What is the next piece of content that you can um, get in front of them, and, and, and just making sure also in a non-sort of scammy sort of way that, that that you have a service that is available for them to sign up to, and 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 almost always that that, that works well.
0: So once, let's say we've gotten them out of the middle of the funnel, they've converted, they're out through the funnel what do you recommend people do to keep that conversation going? So, you know, thinking of things like help shelf or um, onboard flow, I guess too, like what success have you seen when it comes to keeping a customer relationship going?
1: Separate from a virtual summit, I mean, just, just generally.
0: Yeah. Right. So yeah, like they, they've gone through the summit, they've converted at the bottom of the funnel. They're now paying customer. What kind of, marketing do you think is really good for keeping that conversation going and you know keeping that relationship
1: yeah so now we're talking about retention which is which which is a just a really boring word for keeping your customer engaged and it doesn't it shouldn't take rocket science to sort of realize that the the very best way you can do that is to be natural and to as you said, have a conversation, and, but keep that conversation running. And, so, and there are multiple ways of doing it. And you probably shouldn't do just one of them. You should do a few of them. Um, and so some of those are automated email sequences, which which, which is the automated side of it. Um, so making sure that, you know, they're up to date once a week or once every two weeks when you release new features so that they're allowed to be part of that conversation around, oh, cool, company XYZ, they've just added that. They have thought about that challenge or they fixed that bug that I had last week. That's one level that you should be doing at the very bare minimum. You've then got your blog posts that, that although they're initially designed to attract you know, referrals and, 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 and new leads, probably they're touching on subject matters that your existing customers care about. In fact, they almost certainly should do. Um, so you can share those with them as well. And again, just show that you're continuing to sort of add to this intellectual wealth of, of knowledge that that you think they might enjoy. And then the other sort of category is just being honest and open and, and natural and, and having real conversations so whether that's on social one one thing i like to do with face with, with missing network is have facebook uh, a facebook group which is private but but our customers are on there and you know it's just me and you know sometimes people from my team just posting and saying hello and letting people know what's going on and listening when things things go on um so just doing the basics and making them aware that you are still around so Again, just like we were talking about before with, with kind of your marketing strategy, having that sort of uh, combination, that balance of automated with with every, you know, with other people's, with yours, with, with um, you know, one-off sort of things. The same kind of goes for retention, you know, get those automated things sort of working, um, but also complement it with kind of those one-off little, hey, how's everyone doing? Um, I'm doing, a, a, you know, a, an open office hours next week on, on Zoom. Let's do a Facebook Live. Let's do, you know, doing things like that to show that you're still alive um, uh, is really important.
0: Well, I guess then what's in my head is that there are so many different options and there are so many different ways to automate the market to get this thing, but people can just go over over the top and I think get overwhelmed by, I think just sometimes over-automating and over um, missing the conversation part of it. You know what I mean? Like just missing the, thinking everything, everything can just be bots. And when do you recommend people kind of take a step back and say, okay, I have maybe done gone too far with this and I need to get back in touch base and
1: kind of figure, like, retool things. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's interesting because I think the time at which you, you can afford as a company to step back and do less of the, the personal outreach, the the personality that you want to deliver. Um, so, for example, a, a lot of the emails that come out from you know the, the one-off emails you know, for updating this or the posts from Facebook on the Facebook group, a lot of them are from me. I'll sign them off as me. Um, I'll I'll have them sent from my email and explicitly say if there's any questions, just hit reply, and I look and reply to everything. Um, I do that because I want to make sure that that conversation is real. Um, but, as you are alluding to, there is a point at which it becomes impractical. But what you need to be careful of, I, th- I think, is that just because it's impractical doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. What you also need to make sure is that, along with the impracticality, is that it's not a necessity. Um, because I think when think, talking about software you know, if we just think about software companies for a second, when you are confident that the product itself is ticking over? It it doesn't raise more questions than it answers. Um, It is simple to navigate and people are just getting the value immediately from it. Once you're happy that that is the case, then you can afford to, to a certain extent, cut out a lot of those personal things because people don't need to be reminded of the product that you've got a hyper viral, hyper engaging, um, sticky product that people are just coming back to and using every day because they need to. And you're... Almost in that sort of sort of relationships as an individual, as a as a personality, or a manager in the company, or a community outreach person, or whatever it might be, you're almost surplus to requirements. And so that should be the goal, I think. Now, <laughs> the reality is that that is kind of an un, un, in most cases an un, unachievable nirvana, a a a point at which are you really ever fully ready to take your foot off the gas and say it's it's a perfect engine? It's it, the machine is doing what it exactly should be and. Um, it doesn't need any sort of individual to do it. The reality is it's almost always a bit of this, but a bit of that, but you want certainly more of it working really, really well before you start taking your step off, not just because it's impractical, but because it's a necessity.
0: Well, and um, we need to cut this off short because we're getting out of time, but I want to make sure that you're still, tell me more about help shelf and onboard flow because we haven't even touched base on this yet.
1: Mm, so help shelf um, is a, like a new help center, if you will, a, a way to combine all of those disparate help sources that you have um, spread around the web, which when you first launch a business, you, you pretty much just have a knowledge base, or you might just have a blog and you, you publish of, and posts about new features on there or something. But, but as is often the case, as you mature as a business, as you broaden your reach, um, you are creating content designed to help your customers. So this is not about funnel stuff. This is about engaging with your, um, or or, or assisting your customer with information that they might need, you start creating content in a really spread out and wide sort of array um, of places, or certainly you should be, because you should be experimenting with different mediums and everything else. So hopefully, if you're doing things right, you, you, you are still creating blog posts talking about new features that you've released um or, or or industry reports you know looking back at the last year you, you do also have a mature knowledge base but you're also doing zoom re- um, recordings and big marker webinar replays you've also got promo videos and demo videos in youtube and vimeo and you have trello boards with um roadmap features and you, you just have all this information that is when it comes to it all designed to help and in- help inform and educate your customer based on whatever it is they're trying to get help with, whether it's fixing something, adding something, clicking something, they've hit a problem, whatever it might be, an FAQ, whatever it might be. But if that all lives everywhere, how on earth do you get it in front of people in one single place? You shouldn't expect them, for obvious reasons, to, well, go and search YouTube. We might have a demo video over there and go to our knowledge base and go and look for it over there. And yet, nine times out of 10, customers will create help.example.com, or whatever their business name is, and it will link directly to their knowledge base forgetting the fact that there's a whole world of other information and material that um, should be in front of their customer as well so we're on a mission to kind of reinvent the help dot um, sort of help center if you will um, so that's help shelf um, and then onboard flow i'll just be really really pithy is, is totally different end of the spectrum it's a bit more technical specifically designed for growth um, teams uh, or, or more specifically onboarding teams um, within SaaS companies um, for those that care about what their trial users are doing from the moment they become a trial to the moment they end being a trial, hopefully because they've converted, but often the case because they've abandoned, they've canceled, kind of understanding what are they doing within your product um, and, and what do you as a company therefore need to do more of or less of? So it's kind of like an analytics and reporting tool for um, SaaS trial users.
0: Interesting. I think we to see what that looks like. We are running out of time. So...
1: What haven't we covered that you want people to know about? Oh God, I don't know. Um, No, you you don't want to ask me. I go on for 10 minutes, even with a specific question, with an open-ended question, God help us all. No, probably best, um, (laughs) I don't answer that one. No, honestly, as we were saying at the beginning, I I very rarely come to these sorts of conversations with specific things I want to cover. Um, So therefore, no, nothing. Unless you have any questions for me, I'm I'm pretty happy. Well,
0: how can people get a hold of you if they do have questions?
1: Um, so, me personally at Bendel, Bendell, B E N D E L L on Twitter. Um, missing letter, you can find it at missinglettr.com. Yes, it does have a missing letter in there, which I still think is clever, but I'm always reminded whenever I have to explain it that um, it's perhaps a little bit too clever. Uh, <laughs> there's missing letter, all one word, without the E from the end of letter. Um, in fact, I think we also have missing letter spelt fully, and it will redirect. <laughs> years ago i wonder if that still works i'll have to check that out Or um, <laughs> well, you can head to heysummit.com for the virtual summit that's hey h-e-y summit.com um, helpshelf.co or onboardflow.com awesome.
0: thank you so much ben this has been awesome
1: pleasure no thanks very much for reaching out and uh, always fun to have these conversations
0: before you go, just want to make sure you are a part of my members library. My members library is my collection of workbooks, guides, checklists, tons of resources for entrepreneurs like you, and it's totally free. If you want, head to meganbrame.com slash join the library, and you can sign up and get instant access. I promise you, you're going to find something valuable in there that's going to make your business get to the next level. So head to meganbrame.com slash join the library. You can sign up for instant access. On the next episode... Uh, to grow and scale their audience and income. And I do that predominantly, not, I do talk to people a lot about marketing and action taking in your business, but I speak a lot to um, mindset and manifestation and the what I call the aligned way of building a business, which is understanding that your energy, your thoughts, your emotions, and the things in which you focus on in your business are dictating the results that you are or are not getting over anything else. More so than anything else. That's a hell of a story. I know. I I just went on and on and on. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Good story. Um, (laughs) One thing that stuck out to me, and I'd love to hear more about it, is what was the catalyst that made you?